Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Habitat Update, the podcast about entrepreneurship in Japan, based in and focusing on the Kansai area with the cities Kobe, Kyoto, Osaka, and so on. This is episode 10. My name is Tugi, and here with me today, as always, Sabrina, and a special guest today, Sushi Suzuki. Welcome, uh, you both, and how are you? Good. Thank you for having me on the show. Great. I'm excited to hear more about what we're going to talk today and having sushi, I'm sure, will be uh, very interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. You said, like, um, uh, we just mentioned before the podcast now, uh, it's the episode 10. It's kind of like an anniversary. And then, in addition to that, it's December. It's end of the year. So instead of doing a regular podcast with all the events and the upcoming events, what we do in general, I figured we do what something super innovative Something no one does, you know, 2017 in review. <laughs> okay, great. And, but before we get into that, we have talked about, we have mentioned sushi a couple of times before. And I'm sorry I have <laughs> not been listening to you, so I did not know. No, 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 no. It's not, I didn't want to get into that. I just wanted to make the bridge in, into, but we never really formally introduced you and uh, spoke about you in detail. So I want to give you just a chance to introduce yourself and what you're doing around here and... All right. Should I look at the camera? Oh, it's fine. <laughs> we're, we're talking. Uh, um, anyway, <laughs> so obviously my name is Sushi Suzuki. It's not my real name, but that's what I go by for the last 25 years now. I am a product associate professor at the Kyoto Institute of Technology, one of the 38 universities in the city, 38 or so. And my background is design thinking, and my focus is teaching innovation. That's where my interest is. I want to get more innovators, Japanese and foreign, to come out of the things I do. And this could be organizing workshops, lectures, or running a very, very long nine-month project I do with companies and other universities around the world. That's my main activity. Innovators need exits. They need somewhere, once they become innovators, they need to go somewhere to actually wield their muscle and do something. And generally, within Japan and within the programs I teach, most of them go to companies. Most of them go to big companies, they become good engineers, product managers, product innovators, product developers, or even managers. Having said that, another exit for innovators is also the startup scene. Starting your own company or joining a early stage startup to innovate and create new value into the world. And having been, I've lived in the US for about 22 years, Silicon Valley for about five, and Europe, Germany, and France for about five and a half. Having come to Japan, I'm kind of noticing how small or how much at the infancy the startup scene here is. And the fact that students are just not in tune and not interested in life as an entrepreneur at all. So have, since coming back to Japan, I have my programs where I make better innovators, but I also have programs where I try to get students more interested in startups so that they can see this as an alternate career path. They don't have to do it, but I want them to see that the options are out there. And the fact that there are also these tools and skills that are coming out for entrepreneurs, mostly developed in Silicon Valley, but also in other parts of the world, that helps entrepreneurs try to be more successful. Of course, there's nothing out there that says you can be 100% successful. If someone says that, that's just fraudulent. A lot of this is up to chance, but maximizing the chance of success, that's something I'm also trying to teach the people I come in touch with. And a lot of the things I do is not just me teaching, but also I bring in a lot of people to run these kinds of programs. That's 
Yeah, that's a lot. I think, well, I can, I can speak for both of us, me and Sabrina, to say that you're actually doing a great job, I would say, because... <laughs> Thank you. No, no, really. Like, I, when I arrived here in Japan a little bit more than one year ago, you were one of the first, actually, people living here I met, I got, I got not, uh, introduced to. And then later I figured out, like, you're actually one of the key players around here pushing, like, new projects and all these workshops through, through the design lab and, and the, at the KIT and so on. Um, maybe something you said before, uh, how long did it take you to, re to, to, to realize like that uh, the startup ecosystem is actually still pretty uh, in, its, in its infancy, immature? Um, well, okay, so <laughs> I'm sure my experience is a little bit biased because I lived in Silicon Valley and of course everything yeah. is in its infancy compared to yeah. Silicon Valley. To be honest, Frankfurt, I lived in Frankfurt in Germany. That had no startup scene, and it's a financial city. I don't think they need it either. But Germany has a very vibrant scene within Berlin, and I got to be, I got to connect a little bit of that as well and see the kind of the cool things going on. But one of the, I mean, even stepping, being outside of Japan, you can tell that the most influential Japanese companies right now are still companies like Toyota, Sony, Panasonic. The big ones. The big ones that were established either like Sony right after the war or Panasonic, Toyota, they were still well before the war. I mean, they're hundred year companies. And if we take the um, Schumpeter approach of creative destruction, to a certain extent, every generation needs a Hallmark company to come out in order to keep the economy going. And the US sees this a lot. US, I mean, the growth of Apple 20, 30 years ago, Google within the last 15 years, followed by Facebook. Every generation kind of has its Hallmark company that has pushed their economy forward. We are not seeing that in Japan. And that's something that has always been a concern of mine. Is it needed? This kind of creative disruption? Here, here, yeah, I don't know. Uh, is it the right time? <laughs> that's within one thing Japan. I keep asking myself. Like, maybe it's just not yet. Well, so I've worked for Panasonic, and they do a lot of great things, but they're not growing. The, both their number of employees as well as their sales have dropped. They're doing well right now because their profits has increased. Yeah. But there's only so much you can support with a set amount of revenue as well as employees. And where's the next Panasonic going to come from? And this is, I mean, looking at how companies and economy has operated within the last 200 years, which is some, some big ones start going down, like Kodak, for example, in the US, yes. and then new ones come up, like Google. And that kind of cycle is something that is probably um, required for a healthy economic habitat, I would say, to use your words. The habitat. Yeah. Yes. Um, anything from you, Sabrina, on that, what we just had? I have a few questions. Yep. I think just catching some of the points that Sushi mentioned now. Um, I've met lately a Japanese um, who's based in, in, uh, in France. And she grew up in Japan and has been uh, based in, in Paris for a while. And she mentioned that for her, there's a huge gap between France or Paris and Japan when it comes to startups and entrepreneurship. Um, and then she also mentioned that um, in talking to other French, uh, both French entrepreneurs who visit uh, Japan quite often and also when I've been to, to Paris, they mentioned that there are many there are two key things that were uh, interesting and that helped foment the entrepreneurship and startup ecosystem in, in France. One, uh, 
some uh, angel investors and entrepreneurs who became role models and decided to, you know, uh, have more uh, new uh, innovative companies coming out of their own pockets. So they started investing, not only giving money, but providing mentorship uh, individually, as first of all, as individuals, and then later on, they, they join accelerators or incubators. And second, there were some government local policies that helped entrepreneurs to have a chance to try uh, and be a company. Considering those points, you know, both pu uh, public and private, what do you see that could help Japanese entrepreneurs or having more startups in Japan that you, you think is missing now? Okay, so for the one side, it's the angel investors. Um, I haven't been in this country long enough to see how it was like 10 years ago and compare. But from the stories I hear, there are the first generation of these kinds of, I'll say, startup entrepreneurs. So we're talking uh, people from the first uh, internet boom, so late 90s, that era, who have succeeded, or even from like 10 years ago during the social era, the social media era, have succeeded and they're becoming more of these mentor roles. So I feel like that is happening. Having said that, since we're talking about Kansai, mm -hmm. so much of it is more focused in Tokyo. I think it's a lot more common to run into startup events where you have angel investors and um, successful entrepreneurs who are talking to students or talking to young entrepreneurs, helping them and kind of promoting the scene. I think Kansai is still a little bit behind in that. And what was the second question? Uh, uh, Cities public. and public support. Um, I have a hard time comparing this because I don't know how much public support or what public support looked like in Europe for scenes like Berlin and Paris to grow. Paris must have had some decent amount because there's the right ingredients aren't necessarily there, which is one is um, cheap offices, the others is students. Paris does have a decent amount of students, oh, and the third is funding. But Paris is a very very expensive city to live in. The there fact was a that huge La French Tech investment in that. Okay, so things like that. Um, Berlin, on the other hand, had this influx of students and not a very strong local industry. Because for, what, 40 years, 50 years after the war, it was an artificial city that was kept alive by the West German government. Mm -hmm. And a lot of students be, were being sent there, but there was no industry being formed because no company in their right mind would put a headquarter in the middle of East Berlin or mm -hmm. behind the Iron Curtain. So as a result, when the wall came down, Berlin was the student city that was very cheap to live in without much going on. And of course, some students wanted to stay and that created a very nice place for them to start companies. Silicon Valley, I mean, there's enough private money going around that there's no government investment mm -hmm. needed to promote the scene. With what's happening within Japan, I feel like there is government interest. Um, I haven't seen anything in large scale yet, except for maybe the venture capital financing that could come from government entities. With small things, you don't see massive co-working spaces happening yet, or these kinds of massive um, promotions. And I think this is one of the strengths and weaknesses of Japan is that everything is done in very small scale. And you see that if you go out into Kyoto, I mean, the number of small lots you see even in the center of town, most cities don't have this. Most cities, they end up just collecting all the land and building big buildings. You don't see that here. I've had a really hard time organizing any events over like 30, 40 people 
because of the lack of space. And of course, there are places in Kyoto where they end up becoming a little bit on the fringes. Mm -hmm. And in that sense, I feel like a lot of the startup support system is happening at that scale as well. Startup weekends bring in like 20 people. Uh, Kyoto has a startup program. Osaka has a startup program, multiple of them. I'm sure, I don't know much about Kobe, but I'm sure Kobe has it as well. It does. But do they attract more than like 20 people, 20, mm -hmm. 30 people? Where I feel like these things, if properly scaled and advertised and marketed, could bring in more than 100 people easily. And well, when you have one person speaking, 20 people listening, 100 people listening, it's the same amount of cost. Yeah, that's one thing I realized. It's, I haven't been here too long, right? But still, uh, what you mentioned with the people, you tend to see the same faces. The same, the, the community is small, people know each other, and even even like jumping from city to city tends to be the similar similar uh, group of people uh, showing up and discussing over and over again the same things. Now, which is ridiculous if you think about the fact that the Kansai region is what 19 million people, yeah, million people. It's, yeah. it's the top, I mean, it's the top 10 mega regions of, of the world, but it doesn't feel like it when you look traverse the startup scene around here. Well, but then you also have the Asian population. Yeah. And also what I read today on Bloomberg Asia, um, Osaka is one of the main regions that have has been in decline in both economic and in aging. So then it's still very dependent on manufacturing and old industrial uh, expertises that are now, you know, as you mentioned, Panasonic, and we had the case of Sharp and Toshiba, many other companies that are either not to growing. Toshiba's not Osaka, but... Oh, okay, sorry yeah. for that. But <laughs> many other Japanese uh, manufacturing dependent that are on that, that might be slightly um, affecting the whole uh, the whole number of 90 million. But no, I, I mean, like the student community here or the young community that could be doing something. So I've seen that mentioned in the presentation once that, okay, Tokyo has 50% more people in the Kansai region. Venture capital investment-wise, I think they have like 10 times what yes. Kansai has. Um, but the one thing that this area has is the same ratio of students. Having said that, when you look at the Kansai region, yes, Kyoto, I mean, is by far the highest density of students here. Which then, of course, yeah, oh yeah, by far. Um, which then brings up the question of, why aren't students doing this, or why is that student thing, uh, student-led entrepreneurship movement happening like it has happened in Alto, or not necessarily Alto, just just Alto, but uh, in Finland? And I guess this is something I can talk to from first-hand experience, being a professor at a university, is that students are just not interested right now. And part of it is that, and of course, this is talking about the concept region. Part of it is that they just don't see people around them that have been doing these kinds of things. And most of the influence they have are from usually their elder or like the people, not necessarily professors, but um, students who are older, one or two years, who have gone through the rigorous job hunting process for new employees and have gone to big companies and seeing that kind of career path. That's what that's how you measure success for a, a student in Kansai now, still. Um, It's the most... Yeah, I guess it's the most easy to see measure of success just at the point of graduation, just at the point when you start working. But after that, it starts disappearing, right? Because mm -hmm. when you're a student, you don't really talk to employees who are like five years into a company anymore at that point. There's not really a point of contact. 
Well, when I first joined Makers Bootcamp, we had our first bootcamp at Kyoto University, which is known to be one of the top, I think the second top in Japan, especially in areas like engineering and you know deep tech and science. Um, I spoke to this student, she was a girl, she said, apparently students study so much during their entire life to get into those universities like Kyoto University. Yep. And once they're once they are in, they don't want to study and they don't really um, are concerned about getting the, you know, learning more or getting the best grades or, you know, doing something that really would add value to their career because for them, the career, the milestone was getting there. After getting that, it's just a job recruiting. So then she said she feels really, really disappointed. She's a Japanese student because she said most of her friends and students are not interested in doing anything at all. How is your perception about it? Is it the same with most students you've met recently? Like, um, Obviously, there are exceptions. I don't want to bash all Japanese mm -hmm. students, but I would say and there is data that says um, Japanese university students of the many different uh, developed countries they've compared, Japanese university students study the least, and it's not even close to other countries. And instead, they spend their time working, part-time, obviously, because Baito store. is very big. Convenience stores and, and McDonald's and all those yeah. kind of jobs. Or, or some students with more real-life applicable jobs end up having jobs in that direction. But yeah, generally in that area. Or they work in, uh, they do bukatsu or sakuru. So those are like basically student clubs, either sports teams or um, music or things like that. And a lot of students belong to those. And this was something that kind of intrigued me because I, having gone to the university in the U.S., I didn't see the participation rate so high in the U.S., but the big difference, tell me if I'm getting off topic, the big difference between Japan and the U.S. is that U.S. tends to have a dorm culture. Mm -hmm. So a lot of students get their social contact from the dorms, so they don't have to go out to other organizations to form that bond unless you're interested in it. Mm -hmm. Where in Japan, because most students either live from home or they have student apartments that don't necessarily have a community building, they have to find a community within the university and these kinds of social clubs based around themes like music or sports become the place where everyone comes to to have that social interaction. But those social clubs are not like kind of like mandatory extracurricular activity or something. That There's goes pretty high rigorous recruiting and marketing that happens at the uh, beginning okay. of the year. I see. And one of the reasons why I came to this conclusion is that I play a sport called Ultimate Frisbee and it's actually pretty big in the college scene. But the amount of people who go from college and actually play afterwards when they're like working or in the real world, the drop number goes down significantly. Mm -hmm. And of course, part of it is because Japanese people work too many hours. But part of it is that <laughs> a lot of people actually aren't that interested in the topic of these organizations. And there are, my students talk about some of the clubs just being like a drinking club, mm. even though they're technically music or something like that. And there are some really weird clubs out there okay. as well. Like, I think there's one pretty big club in my university that studies um, advertising. Okay. Kind of niche. Well, yeah. Everyone has its needs and interests, right? Yeah. But, yeah, before we get... It's very interesting. We can catch up with that at another point. But before we drift too much, let's come back to the, to the efforts. And one thing actually, actually, let oh. me build on that. So that is actually one mechanism to get Japanese students interested. Okay which is starting a startup club. Yeah, I was thinking, like, aren't there any, like, startup clubs or anything going on? I mean, there are so many meetups at this point, like, also regarding entrepreneurship or 
your business plan, whatever. But are there any? Have you seen anything like that um, at universities? So a lot of universities with more of management or business focus have had kind of like a business club yeah. that's going on, and most of them end up putting their targets on business competitions, where you come up with a business plan, you present it, you get evaluated, on it, and you might win money or whatnot. But it's not necessarily a startup club. It's about how well you write the business plan. And from what I understand, most of them, almost all of them, go into execution. It's on that surface level of competing with your knowledge, but not necessarily with your action or with your foot. More recently, there has been some startup clubs forming at my university as well, thanks to Tsubuki Sensei, who started it and now is in Cambodia mm-hmm. for a while. Um, I know Ritsumeikan has one, but I've never really come in contact with them, so I don't know how strong or how active they are on it. Mm-hmm. The most well-known example is in a tiny little school called Sojo Daigaku in Kumamoto, so in Kyushu. Mm-hmm. And there was one really visionary professor there who rallied the students, managed to put it together, and they've actually gotten student-developed products onto the um, Kickstarter and have turned it into okay. actual products with the help of the local industry. Cool. Nothing too high-tech yet, but very interesting model, and I'm hoping more of that will kind of start to form as well to get students interested. Doesn't have to be. Yeah, it's, it's a start, right? It's to get people more interested, and then yeah. once you roll, start rolling the ball, and then, yeah. But what's interesting about that university is that it is horribly rated. <laughs> no student, almost no student wanted to go there. And just because they graduate from there, there's no promise of getting any sort of employment. So there's this kind of like underdog attitude I I sense when I talk to the students there. Where on the flip side, if you go to my university, if you go to Kyoto University, generally, especially nowadays, you're guaranteed a relatively safe spot in a big or medium company, as long as you don't screw around too much during university. Yes, the big, big names, big brands are still worth a lot here in Japan. Like, mm-hmm. you just can drop names. <laughs> it's really good. But, so, you, do you think, now looking back on 2017, do you think going forward, or do you think we would need more, this kind of, this would be the right place to, 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 to activate the students, like, to such groups? Or, I mean, we see, like, this year, even, like, we had many bigger events. We have, like, the smaller, uh, all these Monosukri Hub meetups by Makers Bootcamp every month, basically. We had the Hakosaka event in February, huge thing. And we had like the Seitaika event. But I feel like even though people are interested, maybe those are a little bit sometimes just having the wrong approach and it feels to me more like a, a just an ad, advertisement, I cannot say the word. Advertisement. 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 Uh, for the organizers, rather than being actually something really helpful for entrepreneurs in the area. I don't know, how do you see, how do you both see that? How do you, have you experienced that in the Kansai area this year with all the events? And one of the cool events, I see, that's why I liked it so much, is what they did with the startup summer camp, right? People came there, well, very global audience, international students and non-students as well, right? Or was it only students? It was only students. Okay, anyway. Well, actually, some of them were... It's just slightly graduated, but mostly students. And then they actually worked on projects, you know, pitch training, get all these lessons from the various entrepreneurs from Japan and so on and so forth. And that was helpful, I think, for them. But then they all left. And yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, that was so. Okay, I feel like there are a few questions. That's I know, before, it's a bit, that's a bit a big mess yeah, now. Yeah. Let's put 
Trying to start up summer school on the background. Let's talk about yeah. events and if they're effective or not. Yes. And maybe I'll flip this question to you because you organize a lot more meetups than I do. And I attend a lot of meetups. I think that there's one good thing about networking, about events, and I think it's a little bit related to the, what you mentioned about social uh, clubs and universities. That, uh, that one of the main ways that I see people network and interact are those events. So they go there mainly not because they're interested in the topic, but mainly because that's their chance to kind of you know socialize and see what's going on. So I've seen a lot of startups, entrepreneurs, events that you have uh, mostly people who want to do something but don't know they don't know where to start from. But we also have like a large corporations representatives who say I'm a headhunter. I'm re trying to recruit students. So they go to startup events to recruit students for large corporations. And that's a very interesting because I didn't know that actually they were so desperate or even maybe for small and medium enterprises, it's so hard to attract students to, to for their companies. That was one thing. Second, I still see a lot of keywords, especially in English, that will attract audience. So I see, I think that the thing about advertisement, it's not a coincidence. I think advertisement is such a, a big industry in Japan and still uh, uh, has its own specificities with my lack of limited knowledge of Japanese. I noticed some trends that are slightly different from other countries I've been to. Uh, but I see there's a lot of focus on keywords, on big names, uh, big brands. And, and then once you get there, uh, not necessarily you get delivered what you're promised. So most of the events, I, I, I go because I meet interesting people. I do a great network. I understand who's interested to partner with startups or learn from startups or even hire students. But I still miss the point of what kind of real uh, uh, outcome will I get from this event in terms of content or how it's planned or how it's organized. So I'm trying to not think as Sabrina with my Brazilian background. I'm trying to think as a Sabrina who's learning from the Japanese cultural reality and business, what the purpose of people to be there and how should I try to like connect them and get them feel comfortable to talk to me about what they want to do. So those are more like, those became kind of like to understand the startup ecosystem and who's involved and why they're involved than actually getting something that I would say is useful as a startup. When I want to get something useful as startups, I go to your events or I've been recently to a few other events that actually uh, building skills for students or uh, people who want to try something to learn from. So that's that's my perception. And I've, and in that sense, I feel that Kansai is way behind Kobe. Uh, sorry, way behind uh, Tokyo. Mm -hmm. And I went to Kobe, 500 startups event that were very, very interesting. They had their own program, but they had some open events for the audience that, that was very uh, interesting, but all speakers were foreigners. That's interesting. Yeah, the balance between foreigners and locals. And I, I'm thinking of what you said, like, yeah, one of the, actually, the key elements of meetups and all these things is meeting people, right? That's where people get together and can exchange their ideas and their uh, uh, plans and so on and find co-founders or start a company. Then many, many, many startups uh, start existing at such events. But I'm still thinking maybe uh, the formula for a meetup or such events has to include more. And I'm still trying to figure out what we need here. Do we need kind of like to teach the people more the tools or 
I mean, is it enough just to bring them together so they can exchange, but then it's very much on them to actually do something out of it? Okay, so yes, there are a lot of meetup events in this area, and I'm sure there is even more in Tokyo. Mm. Are they good? Are they bad? I don't know if that's the right question. Uh, I like to see these things as a cost-benefit analysis, both for myself as well as the organizer. And I think for someone coming to the meetup, there's a few elements of it. One is actually the knowledge being imparted by the people who come to speak there. The other is, of course, networking. Mm -hmm. And if you're just coming to a meetup to get this knowledge, I feel like you can do a better job, uh, to be honest, going on YouTube or uh, getting videos from Slush or other kinds of startup events. Because there's a lot of transportation costs and having to sit through a lot of noise through these presentations as well. Having said that, every so often, I mean, you come across presentations that you didn't even know to search for, and then it will really change the way you think. Yeah. Um, I, it depends on how much you know. Sometimes this is meaningful. If you know a lot already, it's probably not that useful. With regards to networking, I think a lot of entrepreneurs who are already out there are generally against blind networking. Mm where you may not know what you find. Like, I think at that point, you know exactly what you have to do so that you go out and find it. And going to these kinds of meetups, unless you know your target people you're trying to find, for example, students to hire or software engineers, et cetera, um, these probably meetups are not that valuable for actual entrepreneurs. For people who want to actually become one but don't know much about it, I think it is a great place to meet co-founders or other people who might be able to give them advice. For example, at the last Makers Bootcamp event, I met a couple of Doshisha students, international students who were interested in doing something, but they were completely new to it. I'm like, all right, yeah, let's catch up for lunch sometime. And of course, if we didn't go to, if we weren't both at this meetup, yeah. I would never be having lunch with these guys when I come back to Japan next month. So in that sense, Yes, I think they're valuable for the participants, depending on what you're looking for and what you have. I think the issue with the Kansai scene is that we keep seeing the same people. Yeah. And before, like, that yeah. means there's not enough fresh blood coming in, because ideally this should be one of those, it's, it's kind of like a konkatsu, like a marriage, wedding, uh, like a, Arrange, matchmaking, a matchmaking, matchmaking event. If you have people coming to the same matchmaking event over and over, it means that something's not working. Yeah. Ideally, with these meetups, people come to it. Most people probably won't do anything, but some of them actually become entrepreneurs, and then they don't come to the meetup, and they're doing their own thing. And sometimes, of course, the organizers will ultimately pull them in. For the organizers of these events, it really I'm really curious what they're trying to get out of it. I think a lot of it is a way of justifying spending budget. Yes in a way that looks like you're doing work. And a lot of times, having a high number of people show up, even if it's the same people over and over, um, is a good indicator that they can go back to their city or their university or the government saying like, hey, we did this, it was a success because we had this many people come and we had this very famous speaker. That's what I mean, it, 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 it tends to become a show and tell thing right. a little bit. And I think a lot of at least when I was in Silicon Valley, a lot of the meetups, I didn't go to too many of them, but a lot of them were organized either by people who had common interest to exchange information, or they were organized by um, venture capitalists. I think I saw those. Mm. And for them, it's basically deal sourcing to find mm. these kinds of things. 
But when you're the city government organizing thing, these things, how do you measure the success of it? And is it really that useful? That's to be seen. Mm-hmm. Also in terms of sorting like other people and keep seeing the same people over and over again, one thing I noticed here is just the information doesn't spread even within the Kansai area. And like, you know, I keep meeting people, for instance, at the, 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 the Kansai Gaida University, not very, in Osaka, not super far. It's not in the city center, but still far enough outside that people don't know what's happening, like, for instance, at Osaka Innovation Hub. You know, the mm-hmm. biggest thing, but they don't, they never heard of it, and they are actually attending an entrepreneurship class there. And then I'm like, whoa, so, hmm, okay, something is not, something doesn't work. I, so I wouldn't be surprised if are just different small pockets are forming mm. inside Japan. And I think that's more, there's a tendency in Japan for, again, we were talking about how things happen at a small scale. Yeah. These kinds of communities happen True. in the small scale as well. So obviously, I mean, we're very much in the same community, but it wouldn't surprise me if there's another kind of community in different parts of Osaka or Kyoto that is doing these things. Maybe not Kyoto, because Kyoto is so small. I feel like we would have probably heard about it. (laughs) And that definitely happens in Tokyo, from what I understand. I mean, the east-west split in Tokyo is pretty big, because the city is so big. As well as, there's sort of like prominent venture capitalists that have their communities of people they support, as well as people interested in them, that create these kinds of pockets within the area. So as you mentioned, we had a we as you mentioned one community that we are both part. I think you introduced me to Hakka News Kansai. So there was a, a point I posted a position recently, and they asked, "How does it work to teach entrepreneurship?" That's one question that was told. But for you as a as a associate professor, how would you answer that question? <laughs> how do you actually teach entrepreneurship? Yeah. To be honest, this is still something I'm trying to figure out myself as well. And a lot of the programs I've created have been experimental. Mm-hmm. And for people who have gone through my program, sorry, you are being a subject of an experiment. But that helps me learn and hopefully you learned something in the meantime as well. And there are actually, and I'm still reading up on this, there are a lot of different school of thoughts on this as well. A lot of the, I'll say, business school leaning side tends to be just more knowledge passing. If you pass knowledge, people use that knowledge and be more successful, which I think has its limitations as well because entrepreneurship just isn't just about knowing how venture capital finance works, isn't just knowing how to source parts from China, for example. There's very much a um, approach, a mindset that an entrepreneur needs to have as well. And that's where experiential learning happens. And to a certain extent, I think a lot of this overlaps with innovation education as well. Mm-hmm. I mean, I teach content, but a bulk of what I do for teaching innovators is actually creating the environment in which they learn themselves, as well as fail and succeed. And I think this is also important in entrepreneurship as well. So for that reason, I think Lean Startup is an interesting model. There are a lot of Lean Startup education programs kind of forming from the Steve Blank model. And I'm really curious to see how that operates. With regards to what I've done so far, it has actually a bit more topical. And topical is knowledge-based. And part of it is because I actually don't see much of that in Japan right now. Okay. And they're either meetups where entrepreneurs talk about their experiences, yeah. which is good to know because you can say like, you can look at that and be like, okay, there are certain pathways and 
these are ways of thinking that these people did from an example. But the examples don't always apply to the people who are gonna become, going to become entrepreneurs. Or on the flip side, it's just things like uh, Startup Weekend, which is a great community building and fun way to spend the weekend. And sometimes things happen from it, but they don't teach you anything. It literally is get in a room, come up with ideas, and go do it. There's very, very little content, which is why I place Kyoto Startup Summer School as a bit more content-driven than supposed to say like a straight up lean startup program or something where people are guided through the process as well. Hmm. Don't know, maybe that's the right way of going about it, maybe that's not the right way of going about it. For the people we had this year, I would say I think the content was very interesting, but that wasn't, most of that was from, not from Japan. Okay. Uh, <laughs> for Japanese students, I think both is probably necessary. And I think organizations like the startup club within universities probably because you need longer time to actually execute you can't have a i mean you can't start a weekend but you can't have a weekend where you can mentor a team guide them and have them actually make meaningful progress and for that you need a longer program in a couple days no yeah in a couple days in a, in a three-day workshop in a one-week workshop even in a two-week summer school that is really hard to accomplish i don't i could be wrong maybe there are ways of doing that there are probably always exceptions right but yeah of course, it takes a little bit more time. But you do also like a lot of ca uh, case studies, right? Case studies are very popular among students where they can get hands-on. So that, that's what happens when you bring in entrepreneurs, right? To talk. Yeah. That's yeah. ultimately case studies of their startup. No, I mean, it's one thing if they just talk about it, but uh, another thing if you let students work on a problem of a company or something like this. In that sense, case study. I personally don't do it. And no. probably because I don't have... I have case studies and showing examples but the rigorous going through the cases and sort of setting points where like decisions were made and trying to evaluate or analyze each of the choices and how one should do it, I, that really comes from the business school community and sure. mindset, especially in the US. And I have never been really, brainwashed isn't the right word, but I have not really gone through that kind of community. So okay, no, that's what I, I'd be curious to see how it's yeah. done in the startup world because I know there's plenty of business schools that have venture education as well or startup education so you think in that sense also the kind of school we're in or the where you know the, the faculty of the professor has learned or or in which way he believes actually also affects the way entrepreneurship is courses are taught nowadays oh definitely and i'm sure they're very very different culture from i mean so if we look at the example of auto design factory in finland they're, they came more from the engineering builder community and they're very much about let's get hands-on, start building it, see where it goes, learn from it, and adjust. Which actually kind of mirrors a little bit of Silicon Valley mentality as well. But then if you go to, most business schools are all about teaching students how to plan. How to plan a business plan and <coughs> thoughts on execution. Because there's very little execution that happens in academia. Yeah, that's exactly, I think that's what Alan... Uh, question on the, the last meetup with the students about the McKinsey School students mm, that they were very yeah they've been a lot into too much trying to fit everything into business models and rationalize and find yeah. some some case study or some logic to kind of justify what you're doing and that might be actually a barrier or like that's when they stop executing innovative and just try to follow uh, pre-established uh, concepts and models. So from a theoretical and a philosophical standpoint, that actually has a lot of value, right? The ability to look at the past, analyze the present, and plan the future is very, very important. 
Having said that, nothing ever works that way. So the other approach of being flexible, um, being testing your assumptions and test evaluating in a very quick cycle of what you're doing and if that actually accomplishing what you want, that doesn't necessarily come into the business school mindset so much. Of course, I'm sure there are different kinds of business school as well. And I think that's where, I mean, that's why I teach design thinking. That's where this kind of lean startup design thinking methodology is much more powerful for entrepreneurs. Great, interesting inputs. Um, to bring it back a little bit to 2017 and to uh, wrap the year up, um, let's talk about our favorite moments of 2017 maybe related to entrepreneurship, Japan, Kansai. Anything in mind? Top three or top moments. I want to start with one that even though it's it's not about the startup, the topics we are getting now. I want just to recap a few entrepreneurship, uh, entrepreneurs and entrepreneurship role models that exist in Japan that students don't even relate that there is an entrepreneurship skill or some uh, um, uh, real innovative thing there. Is Tadao Tadao Ando the architect? I'm a big fan of him, and I went to a Kyoto Institute of Technology. That's his book about oh, his, his process book. and idea. It's not the book. You showed yeah, me. that's his book. For people that don't know, Ando Tadao is one of the most famous architects of Japan. And also in the world. Yeah. He's, he's pretty much... I think he's won the Pritzker, right? Yeah, yeah, he did. Yeah. And he's now in charge of the 2020 Olympic Stadium project. Oh, really? Oh. With this whole thing going on. But anyway, I got his autograph here. And why I like... I went to this... Uh, one hour lecture he gave at Kyoto Institute of Technology to a huge audience of students. And I think the main lesson that he made it clear and message in the end was like, you student, go out, get out of your comfort zone, go travel, go to different places, get inspiration from different mm -hmm. cultures, learn and do your own, consider what you know before and what you learn from your experience. And that was really interesting because for me, I would see his art put in, many places out of Japan, but I would still think, well, he's, you know, for his age, his generation, he might be a very Japanese mindset, but no, he was telling exactly the opposite of what I would expect him to say. So that was very surprising, and, mm. and that was a good uh, thing. And I think we need more, because he's famous enough, and maybe you can correct me if I'm wrong, he has the kind of, like, all the, I think, the, the, the main things in the media, not only in Japan, but also out of Japan, to be considered a successful uh, professional so then he was kind of like successful professional yeah, yeah yeah and then he was going there and telling people go and find yourself with your own eyes and make your own conclusions in the end and that's something that was very interesting for me and I was happy to be invited by Tsubuki Sansai for that did, did you know that he was a professionally trained boxer yeah okay he's crazy and he was self-taught <laughs> never yeah. went to school so that's amazing I mean, he um, lost he learned so much of his architecture just traveling yeah yeah, that's why he said that. So that was very number one. Uh, that was the first thing. Oh, yeah, Motuwa, okay. Yeah. Oh. Second one was Monozukuri Hardware Cup. Because yes. that was, uh, that's not only because Makers Bootcamp is involved, but I think it's re it is really a challenge to organize a startup pitch competition in English with uh, a judge from uh, overseas. That So the language uh, limit or skills will affect the way the, the judge or the investor yeah. will see oh, the cool. startup. So the some of the, the judge could not get uh, the, the whole picture of the candidates because, because there was a lack of English or pitch skills. So I think some of what we spoke today is very important. And second, because they had the chance to win a trip and go and visit 
uh, both New York and Pittsburgh. And even though they're in the same region, they are, have totally different environments, and they realize they are different ecosystems that are totally uh, different than the Silicon Valley. So I see in Japan, there's a lot about keywords and name. Everyone likes to say the Silicon Valley. And it, it is a good model. It is the main one, so of course. But I think there are many other interesting uh, references and lessons and exchange that could be done with different hubs of uh, startups. And that was a good a good moment for me. Yeah, and, and, and seeing afterwards what the startups mentioned after the visiting uh, the Global Hardware Cup in Pittsburgh. That's interesting. Will there will any of the past? I mean, so you will have a next Monosukri Hardware Cup Japan in at, at the Hakosaka event in February two thousand eighteen. Will any you plan to bring maybe back any of the previous experiences, any of the partic participants which went to the states uh, to speak about it? They I already done. They already done. Plan, Plan Robotics, who's that's from Osaka. They already went to one or two events and spoke okay. about it. So it was very interesting. Um, and then the other two were from Tokyo, Baxo, and, and Kiyu Laser. Okay. But I, I'm not sure if they want to be able to come for Hakosaka. But Plain Robotics should be there at least. They are usually on those. those and maybe like as, as, as experience as mentors for the next ones, you know. Yeah, that's yeah. That's how we experience it. Yeah, yeah. That, that would be a good way. So, okay. Having uh, moderated that panel discussion with, I forgot his name, uh, from Pittsburgh. And Jeff. Jeff. Je yeah, Jeff from Pittsburgh as well as Nick from Bristol, it was actually very enlightening to see other models of entrepreneurship where the city is involved as well as the, not, not so much the university, but um, a little bit of the university and of course the local players as well. And I think Japan has probably a lot to learn from those communities, not necessarily from Silicon Valley. I don't think Silicon Valley is copyable just because of, I mean, Silicon Valley has what, like three, four times the total amount of investments than all of Japan. And it's a region of 10 million people, so half of the Kansai region. I don't think it's just you're not going to build up to that. And I'm not even sure if that should be the end goal. Having lived in Silicon Valley, I mean, I know the good side of it, which is where a lot of these technologies and cool things come out. But the dark side of it as well, with just things are so market driven and housing prices are ridiculous. Me personally, I'm actually really interested in learning how the Israeli model works. Because you hear a lot about Israeli Israel being like a startup nation, and I mean, there's a book with that title, um, and being a very active hotspot for it, but I don't know so much about how the internal operations of their startup scene works. And I know that's different from Finland, that's different from Silicon Valley, and it's mm. probably not the same as Bristol or Pittsburgh as well. You might hear more about it because uh, I think you might have heard that the Kinki Kansai Regional uh, Industrial and Economy uh, uh, local institutions just signed an MOU with Israel. So they are really working on partnerships. You might hear more about startups from Israel coming here and maybe you get the chance to learn directly from them to hear what they want to say. And there's a good chance I'll be going there in May next year. Okay, so, complete for personal reasons, but I'm gonna tack on some. But maybe you can come back and tell us later. Yeah. What you learned? Yeah. Well, let's move on. Do you have anything else, or how about you, Tsushi? What would you say? 2017, I, your favorite moment. Well, so obviously she was mentioning things that were personal to her, right? So for me, yeah, it's, yeah, yeah, it can be. It's, with regards to be, entrepreneurship, I mean, it has to be Kyoto Startup Summer School because. Yeah. Yes, we started in 2016, but that was two days, and we had about what 10, 11 students. We scaled it up much more to a three-week or two-week or three-week program, depending on how you came into the program, with 
30 participants, just under 30. And actually, it was more than 30. Um, yeah, when we started doing it, it was like, okay, we're going to create this massive program. Are people really going to dedicate their time? Are people actually going to come? Mm. And sure enough, when we opened the pub, it was like, okay, we have 199 applicants from 50-some countries. It's actually amazing. This week. And I just couldn't believe that because where do you think that people find this stuff? <laughs> but you and went was, a little bit on a tour and like talking to various people in Europe. Not, in, not in the countries that where most of the people came from. Really? Yeah. And That's we got lucky because there are apparently websites that um, or an aggregation of summer programs. And we okay. got listed on a couple of those, and that's where People it reached a lot. Them. But to a certain extent, uh, have you ever watched the movie Field of Dreams? Maybe. Uh, this famous quote in there, if you build it, they will come. I see. Unfortunately. It's been used in Asia, so... So it's been used in Asia in many places. Yeah. If you build it, they will come. Forward. Yeah. The bigger challenge of it is the fact that we were originally expecting about maybe 40-50% Japanese. Mm. 199 applicants, 5 Japanese applicants. Wow. And few of them came because they actually got units from my university. Wow. So, worldwide, students are interested in entrepreneurship. Within Japan, the interest level seems very low still. And of course, the other flip side I have to mention is the fact that it was fully in English and there are very few Japanese students who are comfortable doing things in English. And besides, of course, now I'm talking about the sales program, it was actually really cool having 14 different lecturers and workshop facilitators do all the different sessions because part of what I want, I mean, my goal in creating that uh, school was for students to have an awesome experience connecting with each other as well as learn. But it was also an opportunity for me to learn as well from all the different people that came. So to a certain extent, I'm sure there's an element of this is the school I wanted to mm -hmm. attend when... I was part of a startup a while back, and to be honest, the community that formed with all the students that came from abroad, that was really, really cool, and I'm glad to see that we were able to get that going, and to that, I have to like give out a special thanks to Anya from Stanford, who came to do the first three days of design thinking session, and did a fantastic job building the community up so that everyone was friendly and able to do teamwork. Yeah. It's great, and the people are actually still uh, like in connection and talking to each other. Like we have a Facebook group, right? And yeah, that Facebook group is still content. active. Yeah. Meeting, they're visiting. Like they're one visiting of the startups that yeah. Hoplite Power. I invited yeah. Nicholas to go to the startup weekend, right? That was right after the summer yeah, school. He just made it recently a post. Yeah, yeah. Just he got one of the students from a Kyoto summer school went to visit him in New York. So that that's really cool. Any chance you might see something similar next year? Oh yeah, we're definitely <laughs> planning for 2018 okay. right now. Um, we're starting a little bit earlier, so hopefully we'll, the announcement mm -hmm. will be made soon. How, lo how long did it take you to plan and do this, this, this edition? I, like, oh, I, I think there like were a lot of learning really, involved, right? Yeah, well. I mean, I feel like we really got moving in like February. Okay. That's when Subic Sensei and Joey was also very much a, a core member of it. Um, and he did a fantastic job basically mm -hmm. doing outreach and finding all the mm -hmm. students that come and luckily he's still working with us um yeah i'd say i mean the application was definitely late last okay. year i think a lot of people had summer plans by the time the application came out so we're hoping to move that earlier this year is going to be a straight up two-week program uh, last year the two three week dynamic was a little bit weird and we learned a lot from running this we got great feedback from the students so it's the format is going to be 
slightly modifying, but I think the general idea that this is a startup school where you get to learn a lot of bearing important topics of starting up a company, I think that will stay the same. I don't think the focus will be getting started, but it will be more about learning. We will have a startup weekend again, because I was want to do it at the end. But. Well, that's great. I'm very much looking forward to that. Now to close the round real quick for me, and there are many moments in 2017 here happened to me, especially regarding entrepreneurship. One thing and I want to mention is like, I mean, we started doing this podcast, right? And for the first five, six episodes, or still, I'm like wondering like, oh, wow, there's not a huge audience there. The view count is not super high, but I was like still wondering, does it actually, does anyone listen? But then, yes, I heard from two voices already, like one person specifically said like, hey, it's actually cool what you're doing there. I'm not, I'm not, like not into the scene, but I want to learn more. And you are kind of like a source and this helps me. You point out these events and you talk about some topics and it's really interesting. And that was for me like, Way. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I think it's important to kind of break the main uh, stereotype. So I think Japan, yes, it's it's behind the scene. Yes, Kansai is behind Tokyo when it comes to startups and entrepreneurship. But yes, there is a community here. And students or people who want to learn and meet should know where to go. So mm. sometimes they, they don't know where to go. They know they most of the events are on Pitix or the other Japanese platforms that not necessarily in the case of Pitix, there's an English version. But it's not as popular as Meetup. So there are many ways that, like, we during this event, we are trying to kind of, like, uh, bring a little bit of what you, we mm. get the access to and try to spread. Because we feel, like, privileged. We know a lot about what's going on. I'm sure you do, too. But most of the students, foreign students I met recently, they have no clue. Yeah, you're in a bubble, so to say, yeah, right? Yeah, so, and of course, for you, it's like, oh, yeah, of course I know. And everyone should know, but... No. no, you found them. So we'll slowly start expanding from that. And I must say, being at the most recent Makers Bootcamp event, I was kind of surprised. You had, I think you had more exchange students than Japanese students. Yeah, most foreigners. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's basically one student came before, and then he has a startup idea, mm. and then he brought friends, and then the whole thing towards the university uh, uh, environment gets, you know, we are trying to bring, that's the main idea. We want to get more startup. Uh, students get in all of their comfort zone, which is in Japan, the university area. So once they come and they, you know, get a Doshisha student to meet a Kyoto uh, Institute of Technology student, you know, if I get there to talk like five minutes, I'm happy with that. And Kyoto University, so it happened. So I think in terms of the goal, we are slowly getting there because we are also learning the process. And we, we've changed a lot, but I think there's, a t there's still a long way to go. Yeah, this is also, I guess, this is a call to the audience from here. <laughs> I mean, if you're interested, if you're listening, if just recommend it, forward it, contact us, send us your ideas, right? Um, yeah, I mean, if you Google Kyoto startup scene, I'm yeah. sure all three of us will show up one way or another, yeah. or at least our respective organizations. Yeah, and there's like, there, there's now the, the two from uh, Nota, the Scrapbox. Yeah. So the Hacker News Consult we mentioned, they started mapping and Tugi's helping Martin. Martin, great job doing it. So we started pointing out names and places and, and co-working spaces and startups and people are involved yeah, yeah, in the yeah. community. So once they get new foreigners here, they can like kind of start. And I started recommending this to investors and NGO. So a few NGO investors who just moved, moved recently to Kansai, they don't know where to go to find startups. So I started sending them to... It's a start, and if you're interested, it's uh, 
How can you? Uh, no, no, no. Scrapbox.io dash slash slash HN Kansai. Uh, I'll put the link somewhere in the video or in the description. So people will find it now. Uh, we talked about 2018 already with an outlook to the next startup summer school. What are your expectations and what do you hope to see more? And do you think we'll get more foreign entrepreneurs to Jap in Japan, in Kansai, especially now with recent news about, you know, the new startup visa of Japan and so on? So I feel like that's still a bit down the line because I don't think there's, besides money, which Japan actually, I Personally, I feel that Japan actually has a decent amount of venture capital compared to a lot of other countries that's not the U.S. or some of the major European countries. Yeah. Um, so I feel like there are entrepreneurs who could come to Japan and take advantage of the financial resources available here to grow. Having said that, it's still a very, very tough country to operate if you don't speak Japanese. It is. So just because there's a visa available, I don't think it's going to be the tipping point. I mm. think it'll take a bit more of Japan's startup scene internationalizing better and being much more, I mean, even you try to organize events in English, but it, it ends up becoming a mishmash of English and Japanese mm. because we can't get enough speakers who are comfortable speaking English. So And once one Japanese speaker switches to Japanese, all the others won't take the risk to get exposure. They do that. Yeah. That happened like initially it was someone was to talk about English in English, but then Yeah, not it happens. Okay. I think that's part of the process here and it has to do with the maturity level. Um, and I agree with you. I, and money is not only the only thing. It is very important. It is actually the the basic step, but there are so many other points that still, you know, we have dots. We ju just need to start connecting the, the lines there. And what I've read recently that Japan is trying to do a lot of like ways to facilitate and have more high skilled foreigners mm -hmm. coming to Japan. But apparently there are many other internal problems that uh, map and Japan was like one of the, the least. Uh, least attractive places for foreign employees. Yeah. Yep. So then again, oh, yeah, work, that report work, was depressing. work culture <laughs> balance. But again, I, I But that's I, also I, something Japan is trying to change as well because it is the work culture here is pretty harsh. I would say that I would come in, even here, I think that in, in, in Kyoto, especially, or other startup scene here, I think it's it's totally different than what we read on this. On those, I think it, 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 it is alarming. Well, it that, is that report was focusing on Jap Japan as a country to work in. Yeah, yeah. But it, that's, that's just kind of like startups who are considering or as entrepreneurs who would like to come here. That they need to know that they, they are people like us surviving in, and we are not dying from extra work, so. <laughs> yeah. yeah. We doubt speaking the language. It's tough, but it works somehow. And since we're talking about students, I feel like maybe the first step isn't to bring entrepreneurs from the outside, mm -hmm. is by supporting the exchange students who come to Japan, because they're already interested in Japan. They're getting a better understanding of the culture and maybe the language as well. And I was just doing a back of the head calculation I think my university is about 4 or 5% exchange students. And even if we have, say the average in Kyoto is 2, which seems like a low estimate, that's still 2,800 students. 2,800 so exchange you know, the, like, students. The dosha, the yeah, but I, I met some of them, like as an example, I met a student at the, uh, uh, from Dosha University, but the campus near Nara, that is a science, uh, he was computer science 
mm. student. He said, oh, all my engineer friends, no one is interested in startup. They just want to get a job for a large corporation. So he feels alone there and in his own bubble. Mm. So I think the mm. point is not only get them then interested, but they can get, you know, the business school student to learn from the engineer, to talk to the to design uh, students and get them as a, like a, a multi-diverse team, I would say. So I have this dream that 1% of students will start up. And Kyoto, with 140,000 students, I think each year we graduate somewhere between 30 to 40,000 students. If 1% of them actually start a company, that's three, 400 companies a year. And even if only half of them end up remaining in the Kansai area, that's still 150 companies being started by students every year. That will definitely form, that's a tipping point. That will form very much a movement. More, how, mu how many of those 150 will stay in Kansai and not move to Tokyo? Hmm. Well, exactly. Uh, well, okay, start here and then stay here, ideally. Okay. People in Kyoto don't go to Tokyo. It's the Osaka it's people. It's Osaka, yeah. People, students people like Kyoto. Students who are not from Kyoto. <laughs> after they graduate. Yeah. But not after they found a company. Yeah, okay. After they found a company in Kyoto, they generally stay here. Wow. But even then, I mean, that's the tipping point. And that's kind of what I'm hoping to see sooner or later. Because, I mean, the startup movement has taken hold in so many countries. I mean, this is a major movement in the world. Yes. And that's the song, by the way. Is it just going to completely miss Japan? Or just go at this level? Or I feel like it's going, like, I can't imagine being smaller than this. Which means it's going to have to grow at some point, right? And I'm just wondering when that is going to be. Yeah, maybe. And I mean, we're all trying to yeah. accelerate that process. But hopefully it will be sooner than later. We are pushing and supporting on all ends and hope that... Maybe the tipping point will arrive 2018. <laughs> yep. Fingers crossed. Like next year, we'll have this review and hopefully we'll have more. Yeah. And be like, wow, case. that was interesting. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Exactly. Let's look back then in a year's time. Great. I think that's a good point to close this session here. Um, thank you very much for joining us. Uh, in terms of anyone out there who wants to contact us, Sabrina at Makers Bootcamp. On Twitter, or you find their makersbookcamp.com page, or on Facebook, and so on. Sushi Suzuki, thank you very much for joining. I guess people can find you. I uh, know what's the best way on Twitter at honestly Google. Oh, Google just, just type Google. in sushi. You should Google pop up. Suzuki. You're famous. The, <laughs> yeah, and just just ignore the restaurants. Google sushi Suzuki. Figure out the restaurants <laughs> and find me. Okay. Best way. And yeah, and as always, you can reach out to us via habitatupdate at gmail.com or you find me on Twitter at QNST and so on and so forth. All the rest in the descriptions. Thank you very much for joining me. This has been Habitat Update episode 10. Uh, Merry Christmas to everyone. All Happy right. New Year yeah. because this will be the year end and I guess we continue then after. Happy holidays. Yeah. Happy, Happy holidays. holidays. Seasons greetings. Or yeah, and see you in the next year, I guess. Yes. Mm. Follow, subscribe. Love each other. Yeah. <laughs>